0: I wanted to, I felt impressed actually as you guys were walking in to release some kind of, I don't want to say it, I don't, I don't know if this is going to make sense, not a new revelation, but a revelation that has come about that I just kind of want to say it so that it can shift some things and set some things in motion as we move forward. And what I want to say is we have been very um, defined by or known for and it's and, and it's been for a reason but what our family has been known for and defined by is the spirit of adoption right that revelation to be shifted from one bloodline and yeah. into his bloodline and the reality of walking that out because everyone says yes and amen to that but then when you have to work it out and actually rub your culture against his culture that's where things get worked out in our in our lives right so we've been really um just we've just been really focused on adoption and we should be and that's not changing but as we move forward, what has been released in our spirits as as soon as just this past week is that while there is the spirit of adoption, don't forget that there is the spirit of intimacy.
1: Yeah.
0: So, I'm saying that because there's been this I don't even know how to how to say it. It's very um can I use examples? Because I don't know how to talk about using Okay. <laughs> uh Gabe and Ellen. Way. Gabe can Perfect. be my example. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the ringer right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just kidding, not yet. He's so scared that when you saw me, and he turned around, he was like,
1: ah!
0: <laughs> 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 "Okay, so Gabe and Ellen have been loud in their um, adoption. Let's say of Maddie and JJ. Where's Maddie and JJ?
1: Okay."
0: So we know that they have expressed the spirit of adoption over Maddie and JJ. What that means is that Yahweh has placed on their heart that there is a verbal and a physical expression that I am in charge and warned by and given by Yahweh. I am a vessel of expressing his heart intimately over your lives outside of your blood parents so that I can help the expression of his kingdom in your lives, okay? Here's what happens.
1: Uh,
0: Alexa wants to build a relationship with Maddie. And there could be a feeling of like, well, Maddie is Ellen's. Or um, I don't know if I can express that, that level of adoption over her because she's already taken. Does that sound like Yahweh? No. 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 So we have to be careful as a family that while he has told us to express the spirit of adoption, that it doesn't go into a direction that we're forgetting that there's also the spirit of intimacy. So let me explain adoption. Adoption for me to Gabe means I have access to him to be a mother.
1: Yes, that is
0: very nurturing. And it is also very <laughs> fiery, or there's a level that I have access to to sharpen him. Yeah. yeah. The purpose of adoption is to rub cultures, yeah. to grow, to mold, to raise up, yeah. to 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 does that make sense Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not out of a place of intimacy but my first i don't know if this is going to be wrong but i'm just saying it my first responsibility to gabe isn't necessarily intimacy yeah it's out of a place of intimacy of course that yahweh's called me to him but my first responsibility is to mother let me say it this way before friendship is son Mm -hmm. so my responsibility over kaya right now for the most part is is over is adoption it's raising it's molding they or anea or renna as they grow into maturity it begins to shift into some more intimacy there's more of an openness my relationship with Jalen has definitely shifted into a lot more intimacy than it is uh, mothering in the way of raising up make sense yeah, yeah. Jalen though is not necessarily going to receive from Megan correction. She can, but it's not. that's not the foundation of their relationship. The foundation of their relationship is intimacy. Yeah. So then he gets to experience the fullness within a family.
1: Right. So Ellen
0: is responsible for guiding Maddie. That frees up Amber, maybe not Amber because of Armory, You get it all over the place. That frees up John to be able to be a place of intimacy and build a relationship with a different view. So I just want to make sure that as we move forward, and especially coming into our home, that we're remembering that this family also operates by the spirit of intimacy and building those relationships. It just, you can tell it'll kind of get a little confusing because you'll you'll wonder when you start to, the other thing that will happen is if you get really intimate in a relationship, (laughs) I can see it. Are you my mom? (laughs) are you are you are you my dad you know what i mean because you're building intimacy intimacy is good and just sharp and that doesn't even mean that discipleship isn't happening the brothers and sisters in christ and and just being able to mold and all of that stuff but just just to remember that that there that there are other relationships Outside of just because Yahweh's asked us to focus on adoption for a reason because honestly I don't know if we would have been able to make it through the shift without family and covenant and being raised We all recognize that we needed to be raised because he's breaking down. I know it all. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but we also Have the ability to have intimate relationships outside of uh, just discipleship. Yeah Does that make sense? Yeah. So I just really feel like that is a strong word for us right now. By the spirit of adoption, but also by the spirit of intimacy, there are things that are going to come. And it makes sense to me that we're starting to move into the home. Um, And I want to preface that because the words that he is bringing about Paul, he's bringing the teaching side. On the encounter side, I have an intimate relationship with Paul. (laughs) <laughs> so if you read Paul from the perspective of uh, teacher corrector law like, like te- I don't know how to describe that, from like the spirit of adoption you're going to get one side of Paul when you start to read Paul from the spirit of intimacy you receive something completely different with his instructions so I just want us to be aware that even when we're reading the word, there is both sides of Yahweh, he is absolutely father yeah. and he is absolutely abba. Yeah. That's why by the spirit of adoption we cry abba father because he is both abba and he is both father, which means like what we've been talking about like the grace and the the law and the grace, like it's yeah. both the two two houses. So so I wanted to release that. And then speaking about being in the home, I thought it might be appropriate it's super premature <laughs> but would you guys want to kind of know what we're thinking the day season's going to look like? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because, again, it's
0: not totally set in stone, but we're starting to um, press in about the day season knowing that Pesach is a month and a half away, two months away. So um, it's really interesting that we're here because there was a vision that came out that we're going to do daytime discipleship like we did last year but that we were going to do it from house to house. And then somehow this happened. <laughs> so we don't know if he's like, we want you guys to be house to house way earlier than you thought, <laughs> or what's going to happen. We don't know exactly what's going on. But during daytime discipleship, we are going to be moving house to house. So um, and typically, what you guys have seen is on Friday nights, we'll kind of do maybe um, well daytime discipleship we did dinner every friday but like you know how we would do worship then we would have teaching then we would have discussion then we'd have activation i'm really feeling like we need to settle in some things versus skipping every friday and so we're actually seeing it kind of the opposite so um right when the day season starts obviously pesach kicks that off we will be doing a month of connection where it is going to be food and fellowship and family, and connection, and conversation, and just getting some um, connection. And within that connection, Q&A discussion. What I want after this night season is for us to make sure that what has been dispensed over the night season is in you. And the way that we're going to know it's in us is to dwell, to eat, to be together, and to talk. And really, I I know Podcast Night is doing this, but really all of us together, being able to just grind out, okay, what happened in November? <laughs> what were you guys talking about? Or whatever it may come up, that really just ironing out those things. So we're gonna have a whole month of Q&A, connection, discussion. Then we're gonna move into, and again, this is just totally uh, rough draft. The next month we will move into an entire month of
1: worship. So I'm like looking at. I'm looking at them because
0: I'm like. (laughs) So we don't. I I have been feeling since before the birthday worship, um, and Yahweh's been doing some things in what worship looks like after the night season we've had, which is why he has paused this whole thing for a while because he's doing a deep work in the movement of the spirit. Ruach Yatza, right? And being able to really gain what it is that Yahweh's done for us to move into a place of worship that we don't understand yet. Okay, So then a whole month is going to be devoted to that. Here's why. That is to send us in to the discipleship for the rest of the day season because what I felt in the spirit was we have learned a lot, right? The whole night season has been learning. We're going to iron it out through connection, Q&A. After that, we're going to get on our face, and we're going to let it get in us yeah. by the Spirit. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. We're not going <laughs> to teach. Honestly, we might even potentially shut down podcast night. Like we're not. We're just going to just soak in what we've learned and allow yeah. him to seep it into our DNA yeah. without the knowledge yeah. part of it so that will be that whole month and then after that we'll get into daytime discipleship. Daytime discipleship this this year is going to be something that is super foundational to to kingdom heirs. Super 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 foundational. We talked about it last year. Remember last year we did marriage and foundations. So we went over the foundations of of kingdom heirs and then we went over marriage. This day daytime is we're going to be learning how to raise children now for those that are like I don't have any kids or or they're too old or it's too late or I don't care it's interesting it's interesting because this whole night season has been us being children yeah,
1: yeah. to his
0: instructions yeah so we're gonna learn how to practically implement his his instructions in our home, and it's going to hit you from the parent side and the child side, yeah. and it may get as practical where we're going to be moving house to house and watching those videos again. Rebecca's an OG; she knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> so we, where we will come together and we will be learning, and then we will have uh, teaching afterwards and discussion on the practical side of basically raising a home, multi-dimensional this time. So that's what we'll be doing for a couple months, and then that pretty much takes us back into the night season. And then we do feel like we will get through the Paul. Pauline theology will be done, which means we have tackled the gospel, Acts, and Paul as far as the renewed covenant is concerned on the law. So then we will be ready to move into the next night season receiving our heritage and getting into... um, the the, the original covenant and what it is, where where, where are we in this picture? And, And what he showed us is that we weren't going to be able to receive that kind of heritage if we didn't iron out the stuff that we've learned in the renewed covenant. Does that make sense? So all of next night season will be a lot on the heritage, the 12 tribes, the divorce. Who are we? Where are we? How did we get here? So by the time night season comes, what we're ironing out is we're ironing out the concept that you are a new breed
1: mm-hmm.
0: i understand the scriptures say that but you understand what we under, when we understand where we came from we we know what a yeah. new breed means yeah. but christianity has said you're yeah. a new breed forget all of that
1: yeah your
0: roots are at 300 a.d and that's where your roots yeah. start and then move forward from here and you it's a replacement you yeah. have you are the light you are yeah. the salt and you are replacing everything that was before we're going back and trying to figure out where did that come in? Why did that come in? And yeah. then, if that is the case, what is our heritage? Yeah. Where did it really start? Can we go back to Abraham?
1: Mm-hmm. And should we? Yeah, it's good.
0: Yes. So, but what happened? What happened with Abraham? What happened with the 12 tribes? What happened when uh, Babylonian times came and all of that when the divorce happened? And where do we fit into this? And what are Gentiles? Yeah. Let me ask you this Do yeah. we believe Gentiles started in the New Testament?
1: No.
0: No. So there is a long history just as gentiles and yet that's kind of stripped away because we're, we we were you know we thought that gentiles started at Yeshua. Mm. Yeah. But that's not the case. We do have a place we do have and 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 it's going to give purpose. Yeah. So that's what we're in for over this whole next year. So just wanted to give kind of a taste to get us excited about what's coming.
2: So as we conclude as we come to a conclusion <laughs> for the night season, um, we're gonna we're going to essentially arise to the identity that he's had destined for us, and it's been a long, several years process of divesting from things and understanding what we're not. Hundreds and thousands of things that we're not. Yeah. That's been almost the easy part. And during the last decade, I've been crying out and hungry and saying, okay, I understand we're not this. I understand I'm not this. But then, so what What am I?
1: And
2: Yahweh has made it clear, this is what you are. And I believe we're going to release that at the conclusion of the night season going into the day season. So as as we're building, we get to build knowing that Yahweh says, this is who you are. Like, this is what you are. This is how you are. This is what you smell like. This is what you look like. This is what, you know, we know what we're not. Yeah. But now he's going to say, this is who you are now. Yeah. So like when people say, because I know we've all kind of dealt with it. Well, what church do you go to? Are you denominational, right? And you can see where the the (laughs) conversation is going. And they're like, so what are you? Right? And we've all kind of been like, well, I could tell you a lot of things were not. (laughs) Right? But Yahweh's going to solidify that at the end of the night season. It's like, and it's something that he's had destined for each and every person sitting in this living room right now. Yeah. So that's going to be exciting. Um, Before we get into tonight, I did kind of want to see with everything, Paul, that we've been talking about, if there's any. Questions or points of clarification that I can be mindful of as we continue through tonight. Um, just anything from from last week or the previous weeks, if something's like just been at the forefront of your mind. Just wanted to kind of gauge if there's anything like that as we uh, proceed into tonight. Anything at all, you can just yell it out. Is everybody good? Okay. Um, so we're going to get, if you remember last week, I was talking about the law, right? And Apostle Paul mentions the word the law in Greek nomos. He mentions that over 100 times in his writings. And he has a lot of writings in the what many people call the New Testament. He's got a large <laughs> amount of writings in there. And so we talked about his writings being conveyed through Greek thought and language and how can you totally convey the Hebrew context of what he's talking about through a very one-dimensional singular term, the law. And there's actually seven different laws that Paul refers to in his writings. There's seven. The only one that we're not under anymore is not the Torah, if that makes sense, right? People will say we're not under the law, we're under grace. And the connotation with that is that we're that not, we're not—we're no longer subject to the Torah, to the Father's instructions, his directions, his regulations, his governance. That's the context when people say that or understand that. And it's hugely misunderstood because Paul talks about seven different laws, which we'll kind of get into tonight. And the only one that you're not under anymore is the law of sin and death. That's what Apostle Paul is talking about. He's not saying we're under grace so you no longer have to uh, be subject to the instructions of the Father. That is not what he's saying, right? Right. But that's what we've come out of right chalk that up another thing that we know we're we're not subscribed to this anymore
1: yeah
2: okay so there's seven different laws that he's talking about and it's very hard to distinguish if not impossible by just by the word law that's in the new testament okay one of the things that we've talked about as we we've talked about how peter in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about how difficult Paul is to understand. And oftentimes, people will twist it to their own destruction. And so you have to be diligent to understand Paul, right? And so one of the things you have to do with Apostle Paul, and if you're going to be uh, a professor of your faith, if you're going to profess faith in Yeshua and faith in Yahweh, and you're going to say that I'm a son and I'm a disciple you have to be you have to think about who Paul is and what he is and you can't just read what he says but you have to understand who he is to understand what he's saying okay there's an so we have to be willing to engage intimately with Paul to understand who was he who is he now did he convert right we have to dig in to find out, no, he, he never converted. He never said, I'm a Christian. He never proclaimed Christianity, no, not once, right? So we have to engage with him intimately to know then what did he proclaim,
1: yeah.
2: right? He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He never said, I'm a Christian. He said, I'm a follower of the way,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is what we are.
1: Mm-hmm. We're
2: followers of the way, yeah. right? So you have to begin to think in in different ways about how you engage intimately with the Word. You can't just flip the page, read the verses, read chapter two, flip the page to chapter three, read chapter three, right? You can't just do it like that. And you definitely can't take some shepherd, some pastor's word for it and say, "Well, my pastor said so," right? We know we're, we know that. We're we're beyond that. So then what do you have to do then? So we left off last week talking about getting into Romans 7 and talking about laws at war. And what I mean by that is, uh, let me give you an example. The enemy, one of the things he loves to do is to give you a deceptive set of options that you have. You'll be in a circumstance, you'll be stuck in in a dark place or a great place, and he will present to you a deceptive set of of options regarding your circumstances, right? And he'll you'll have to seek after what Yahweh's options are. But he will he will readily present. These are the options you have.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let
2: me give you an example. From age six, I got addicted to pornography. Pornography, and for twenty years, I was I was deeper and deeper and deeper. He drugged me into that addiction. Okay to the point to where the options that I thought I had that he presented to me was you're either going to get this under control
1: mm-hmm.
2: by your willpower or it's going to 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 uh or it's going to continue in in the shame and the uh, the shame and the disgust is just going to keep piling on. Until you die. Until you die you're going to be saturated in shame until you die unless you overcome this by yourself that was the option that the enemy presented to me and i was not wise enough or did i didn't have anybody around me to be engaged in intimacy with to say that's not your only option i don't know who gave you those options but those aren't the options let me tell you about the real options you have Right? So here I am, a young adult, and I think, I'm thinking, well, obviously I don't want to be uh, just piled up in shame until I die, so I have to figure this out. That's what I thought was my only option. I have to figure this out. And what happens? Did I figure it out? Could I figure it out in and of my own power? No. 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 So then you've got this compounding thing where shame is being heaped on, and and I'm killing myself because I just can't do it. Okay, I'm going to try again this week. Okay, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to try again in the next 10 minutes. Nope, you failed. You failed. So here's some more shame you can carry. So I guess I'll try again, right? In this deadly cycle for like 20 years of my life, right? And I'm telling you, when you you see options presented as far as your circumstance, ask, where are these options coming from? Oh, come on. Who pre- who presented these <coughs> options to me? Yahweh, did you present these to me? Yeah. Are these from heaven?
1: Yeah.
2: I didn't know how to ask those questions, right? One because I was by myself, because He said you have to figure this out by yourself.
1: Yeah.
2: And and I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't bring myself to come forward because I was so scared that. That it was going to just like, people were going to be like, who are you? You're disgusting. You're filthy. Right? Yeah. I thought it was going to break relationships. Yeah. How, how silly. Right? But that's real. Yeah. That's real when you're struggling with that. So what happened was, what broke that cycle for me was I had a vision. And I was looking down because I was covered in shame. And as far as I knew, my father was standing next to me with his arm around me. And many of you have heard this, this uh, encounter. And I had a realization, and I heard Yahweh from in front of me say, all I need you to do is look up. That was his option. I need you to look at me. His option was was none of what I thought for 20 years. The two options I heard for 20 years, he came out of nowhere and said, I just need you to look at me. And when I looked up and I saw my father, I saw him, all of a sudden it broke that whoever this is that's been fathering me is not my father.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: And, it, and it broke everything. It broke everything, right? So Because I, I realized the enemy's been trying to father me, and he's been feeding me these false, deceptive options for the better part of my life at that point. Right, And so this is what the enemy likes to do. This is what he did in the garden when the father had one command for his creation. Okay. I want you to go here and just don't. You can eat of all this, but you just can't eat this one thing. Right, And the enemy came along and questioned it as if that was bondage, as if that was unfair, what Yahweh was instructing them to do. And he said, go ahead and eat that and come be free with me.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: so the false option was you're in bondage you can have freedom
1: yep
2: you're you're ultimately a slave to your father you can be free of that that was the false option they were given right not understanding that what we were talking about last week there are laws in operation right when you hear the word law as Christians we've been fooled into believing that that must mean the Torah (laughs) We're not under the law, right? That must mean Yahweh's instructions. That must mean the food laws of Leviticus 11. That must mean the dietary laws. That must mean the Sabbath. That must mean the feast, the appointed times, right? We just assume that. So you can see how trying to convey Hebrew thought through Greek terminology combined with what we've been indoctrinated and trained up in for 2,000 years, Right, and the enemy's tactics to give you false options. All of these things have put us in a corner to believe that the law is negative, the law is deadly, right? Life is in grace, which also gives you a false understanding that the law and grace are e- are distinct from each other and opposed to each other.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. When they're not, you cannot separate the law and grace. Grace would not exist if it wasn't for the law. Right? If there's no law, there's no grace. Right? If there's no grace, there there's no need of Yeshua. Right? So he gives us these false options, and that's one thing that I wanted to review from last week because it's such a powerful thing to understand and to even when you're presented with options to question where did these options come from? I never even thought to question. I just thought these are my options because somebody fed it to me. This, they, he jammed it in my face and said, these are your two options. So I thought, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll just go with these options, right? So that's important for us to understand just the complexity and how much you have to intimately engage with Paul to understand Paul. When you get newly married and, you, and you're a new spouse or you have a, uh, speaking as a man, I have a new wife, I have to intimately engage with my wife constantly, consistently to understand my wife. We've been married going on 20 years. And I'm sure people that have been married longer can attest there, there is much work I need to do to understand my wife. Right? Okay? And there's probably people that have been married longer or like elders who would say, "You know what? If you if you don't do the diligence to understand your wife, it's to your own destruction."
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So think about that when we're talking about Apostle Paul and what Peter said. Most people, most people will will twist what he's saying, which which requires intentionality, right? or just the pure indoctrination that we've been talking about, you will twist what he says to fit what you've been told to your own destruction. Okay? So just to get our minds back in the place of of how, how we need to go about handling the word of God rightly and being able to divide the word of God rightly and being able to test what's being told to us or what's being put in our ear or what's been taught from generation to generation, okay? So we're going to look at the book of Romans and we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. If you have your word, I want you to just turn to Romans chapter 1. In the context of Romans, Apostle Paul was basically, he was speaking to Jewish and Gentile followers of Yeshua. And what he was basically trying to convey to them is that Yeshua presented for them the same gospel. (laughs) Jews didn't have an advantage in holiness or righteousness or being saved in a different fashion. And Gentiles didn't have to uh, basically change their ethnicity biologically to be be saved or to have salvation. So Paul's message was that Yeshua is the way for both of you, just the same, okay? Okay. So we'll start in verse 1, Paul, a slave of Messiah Yeshua, called to be an emissary, an apostle, and set apart for the good news of God, which he announced beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son. He came into being from the seed of David according to the flesh. He was appointed ben Elohim in power according to the Ruach of holiness. By the resurrection from the dead, he is Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Now verse 5, pay attention, through him we have received grace through Yeshua we have received grace in the office of apostleship so basically Paul is saying I've received grace through Yeshua and he has sent me to you so he's just declaring his own authority that you need to listen up because the one who saved us has sent me to you And in verse 5 he says the reason why he was sent write this letter to the Jews and the Gentiles he said to bring about obedience of faith among all nations on behalf of his name so man, when we read the word we have to you you have to like ruach get my mind in the right place to engage intimately with what you're saying open my ears to hear what you're saying so immediately when he says He's saying, this is my purpose in the context of writing the the letter to the, the people in Rome, to the followers of Yeshua in Rome. And Paul is saying, the reason why I came speaking these things or writing these things to you is to bring about obedience of faith. He didn't just say to bring about faith in Jesus.
1: Okay? Yeah.
2: That's what we've normally heard is I came to bring you the good news about Jesus and your faith in Jesus. That is not all he said. So so we've been conditioned a certain way and this stood out to me because he said first I came to bring about obedience of faith. Wow. Right? That should slap you in the face. What this is not what I've heard for 2000 years. He's talking about obedience first. Yes. So I want to know, what is the obedience of faith? What is that? I need to engage intimately with Paul so he can tell me what is the obedience of faith that you're telling me your purpose was to bring this letter, okay? To bring about obedience of faith among all nations on behalf of his name. And you also, and this is just funny, And aside from that, also that you are called to Yeshua the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. To all those in Rome loved by God, called to be Kedoshim, grace to you and shalom from God our Father and to the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. But I want to go back to verse 5. And this is important to recognize because he's talking about this obedience of faith. This is his purpose in writing this letter to the romans is this dynamic of obedience to, of obedience of faith among all nations on behalf of his name so what this sounds like to me is he has a dynamic that he needs to deliver to these people on behalf of god's name and it's it's to go out among all the nations anytime in the word when somebody's talking about the nations They're talking about the Gentile people, okay? That word is ethnos, which means the Gentile people, essentially. So what he's saying is, I'm bringing about the obedience of faith to the Gentiles. Okay, remember last time when we were talking about Paul, most of his ministry and most of his letters are being written to the Gentiles predominantly. He's an apostle. He's a sent one. From uh, the God of Israel for a Jewish Messiah to the Gentile people to then turn around and transform them with this obedience of faith to go back into the father's house by the spirit of adoption. Romans 8.15 says by the spirit of adoption, you're no longer a slave to fear. You're no longer in bondage to fear, but by the spirit of adoption, you don't change biologically. You change in the spirit. You change in the spirit into his house. Mm. Right? Mm. You're transitioning. You're no longer a slave or a, a, a in bondage to fear in your spiritual, in, in, excuse me, in your flesh, but you're now in the house of Yahweh by the spirit of adoption, by the spirit. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And by the spirit of adoption, like mom said earlier, there's this not just faith, but there's an obedience of faith. So what happens when you're adopted into the household? You're gonna there's gonna be an, an aspect of obedience, right? So there's this dynamic of an obedience of faith that he emphasizes. And he goes on to explain what it is. And he's talking to the Gentiles. You know what this what what the, the Ruach quicken me too in the spirit was uh, the Great Commission and we've talked about this, right? Matthew 28 talks about what, is, what does the Great Commission say? Go and,
0: make
2: of go and make disciples of all nations. That means go and disciple Gentiles.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: All When it talks about nations, right. it's talking about right. a Gentile people and what you're commanded to do Okay, which is interesting if you think about it. It doesn't say, go and disciple the Jews. Okay. (laughs) It says, go and make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth. Go and disciple the Gentiles. And what's the last thing it says in the Great Commission that we typically never hear? What is the last thing? Yeshua said that I want you to do as my commissioned people. Teach my commands, teach them to obey my statutes. Right? So here in the opening of 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 the book of Romans it made me think when you think about the great commission in the way that we've understood it and you think about the the um the generals of the faith that have saved, led, you know, thousands or generations of people to Christ.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Or these crusades that are like sweeping continents, and you're just, you can see it. Like, who are these people that we look to as an example of people that have fulfilled the Great Commission? Just, if you can think of somebody, just throw Billy somebody Graham. out. Billy Graham. Billy Graham, that's an excellent example. John Reinhardt Bonnke. John G. Oh. Lake. <laughs> John G. Lake. Right? When you think of these people, what were the things they may have been fulfilling part of the Great Commission? What were they doing? Baptizing people, right? Healing people, uh, leading people to salvation, right? By the thousands, by the generations. And these are people we consider generals of the faith. And yet, here we have Apostle Paul, somebody that we have virtually constructed his Jewishness around him to serve our understanding. We're not intimate. I'm, I'm not, I can't in covenant, I can't approach my wife and virtually construct who I want her to be in the covenant. To serve my purpose.
1: Right. Oh, <laughs> oh, and for any husband, <laughs>
2: for any husband who, in their covenant with their bride, constructs a, a virtual version of their wife that they want her to fulfill to serve your purpose. If you as a husband are engaged that way, or you're chasing intimacy that way, it's not going to work well for you.
1: Right? Yeah.
2: Because your wife's going to be like, I don't know who you think I am. Right? I feel like Paul, if he was here today, he would say, I don't know who you think I am and what I've been saying. Right? You've constructed a version of me that has nothing to do with me.
1: Yeah.
2: Come on. Yeah. My, your version of me has served your selfish purposes
1: right. Right.
2: for oh, your own right. convictions,
1: right. right? Right. That was good.
2: <coughs> so it's interesting. So in in the in the very right out of the gate in chapter one in Romans, Paul is saying what his purpose is, and he's aligning himself with the Great Commission. He's basically saying, "I was sent by Yeshua as an apostle, and I'm basically fulfilling the Great Commission." That's what he was telling them. Right? I mean, they didn't—they didn't know Matthew 28.
1: He didn't quote
2: Matthew 28,
1: right? Because it wasn't written
2: yet. But Paul was basically telling the people that my assignment is to fulfill the Great Commission. And the way I'm going to fulfill the great commission is that I'm going to talk about the dynamic of obedience of faith to the Gentiles.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs>
2: so like I'm like, all right, this so I get ready, to, I get ready for Friday, right, for Kahal, I get ready to gather, and I'm like, all right, we left off, we were talking about Romans seven, laws at war, and that's what I'm going to study. And and Yahweh, the Ruach's like, nope. Chapter
1: one. <laughs> chapter one, verse one.
2: Because <laughs> I I want you to be intimate with Paul. I want you to understand that when he came to write this letter, the context of yeah. chapter seven even is that Paul was fulfilling the Great Commission in the way that we never hear about.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: Right. And yet here he's the one that we will use. Mm-hmm. This was the example I was going to give last week
1: christianity
2: christianity has treated paul christianity as a master has treated paul as a house nigger meaning they have virtually constructed paul as one that would betray his own race to get into the house to serve their purposes Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Let me talk about, okay. (laughs) In In slave days, when you would have a plantation, you would have white masters who would own the plantation. They would own slaves, African slaves, who would be predominantly doing the slave labor. If you had, let's say, one or two of those slaves that worked their way into the house, to be a slave in the house, the the majority of the other slaves in the field would consider that person well, they're a house nigger because they've betrayed us and they've stepped into the master's house to serve the master in a different way. That serve it's it's a codependent, self serving relationship between the two. So Christianity has virtually constructed Paul as a A slave servant to us because we virtually constructed him that he would betray and turn his back on his Jewishness right to basically say no no I'm gonna be a mouthpiece for Christianity to say that you're no longer under the law but you're under grace and the way that I can do that is because I've been constructed that I've turned my back on my Jewishness Right. when did Paul say he turned his back on his on his Judaism never never in fact he goes before a court and he and they say they've say they they accuse him of violating the law and he said I've never violated the law not even once <laughs> so here's paul right we've developed paul we've <coughs> built him up in our minds we we haven't intimacy we haven't intimately engaged with him right we haven't we haven't intimately engaged with him we haven't understood paul for who he is in fact we've done the the other thing where we've made him up in our minds to fulfill a certain purpose mm-hmm. to keep our beliefs yeah. intact so we can remain comfortable yeah.
1: mm-hmm. oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> she <it> <laughs>
2: This is what's crazy. Every, every every Christian believes we we should fulfill the great commission. Now when it gets down to defining what exactly does that mean and what does that require of us? That's where you where you have the nitty gritty and that's where the comfort kicks in that people just refuse to look mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the the last thing that we were assigned to do was and teach them. To obey my commands. And it wasn't (laughs) Yeshua's commands, because everything he did, he did it as an extension of the Father. Mm -hmm. So when he said obey my commands, it was obey my father's commands, which is the Torah. Right? And it wasn't just the ten. And
1: it wasn't just the ten. Right?
2: As a a father in my house, I have a whole lot of instruction in me, and some of it my kids aren't even going to hear it till they mature to the next level. Right, Mm -hmm. that's good. Right? Yeah. So there's this. This is where this dynamic comes up that. We're a set-apart people, and this is why we're going through this exercise that we've been going through as a family, so that we can truly understand and embrace and grab a hold and understand what it is that Yahweh is going to say at the end of the night season. What is he going to say, and what does that mean we have to understand? He's not going to release, this is who you are, and have us uh, speaking out both sides of our mouth.
1: Right. Mm Right
2: right and what gets hard is that when you when you hold the torah up as a standard in a general conversation with somebody who has been indoctrinated the way that we've all been indoctrinated it's going to be very difficult for them to see it right it's there's almost like you're you're just blind for a time until he ordains the veil to be torn yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
2: it doesn't mean that we don't We don't act as witnesses or or ambassadors, right? Because what Paul says in Romans 2 is that by you walking out the law of righteousness and being righteous yourself, you will call other people to that same righteousness. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So it doesn't mean that we don't witness to it, we don't attest to it, but we have to understand that when you talk about the Great Commission and you talk about the law and you talk about what Paul came to do, in the fact that in the book of Romans that so many people will use this ammunition to say, nope, that doesn't apply to us anymore. Right? That he kicks it off by saying that I'm fulfilling the commission. So my point was in bringing up all these generals of the faith, we've been looking at people that have been either ministering to the Jews or reaching the Gentile nations, and they're fulfilling a, a half they're they're halfway fulfilling a mission, mm-hmm. which means it's not fulfilled.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. We've been looking at people, and I'm not taking away saying what they did wasn't good in and of itself. I'm not I'm not saying that. But let's take a sober look. Right? Apostle Paul, he's he's a lot of people doubted him, they accused him, they criticized him. So oftentimes what you'll see is when he introduces himself. He has, to, he has to give his, uh, his, um, what's, his credentials, right? Mm-hmm. No, I am an apostle, and, Yah- and Yeshua is the one who sent me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And this is the reason why he sent me, to demonstrate a, a, a dynamic of obedience of faith, not just faith, obedience of faith, because what I want to do is transform you into an adopted son who understands obedience and faith. Okay?
1: That's
2: good. This is so good, you guys, because I I feel like the next time the, the, the opportunity arises, and nope, we're not under the law, we're under grace, man, I'm going to be like, have a seat, have a seat. <laughs> you can't just say that and just walk off. No, no, let's... <laughs> If you're busy, let's book, let's book, let's make a reservation.
1: Okay. Yeah, dad. Come on.
2: And we can't be intimidated about this either. That's why you have to understand. If you understand something, when I was training people in law enforcement, I would watch officers in training. They would, they would struggle. They would hesitate to answer calls if they didn't understand a particular law or how it worked mm-hmm. and that type of call came up, they would not answer the radio because they didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They would avoid it. Right. But even officers in training, if they understood the principles and they understood the dynamics, they'd be like trying to answer the call first before their buddies. Cause they want to go get into it. Right. That's how we need to be. We need to understand these dynamics. Right? So when somebody comes up and you know, yeah, Paul said we're not under grace. Well, let's let's flip to that verse. Show me that verse. Right? Because right before he says that in the same sentence, what does he say? He says, we're no longer under the law of sin and death. Right? Right? You're not under that law. You're under grace. Right? Right? So flip it open. Where does it say that? Okay, read the words. Like, it's going to be like talking to you like a, okay, now back up.
1: Four yeah. or five words. Yeah. Let's
2: read the the whole verse,
1: okay? Yeah. Yeah.
2: See these these people are dealing with. They're intimately engaged with a, a falsely constructed Paul.
1: Okay.
0: Can I point out? I feel like because we, you we we've said it. I feel like I'll feel like we've said it a lot, but then I know every time we say it, it kind of just hits a little bit differently. So he's saying a falsely constructed Paul. So go back to the vision of when he was looking down and whose arm was around him. That would be a falsely constructed father. And when you look up, because the options were given, you have to remember the options that are given to you are always in context that the truth has put you in bondage. So I want to say that because the enemy is like the ambassador of freedom
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, okay so
0: like because when when the enemy had his arm around him it was like I mean he's out of he's out of that lifestyle to be able to express to you that what was spoken over him was bondage Mm -hmm. but in that time Mm -hmm. his willpower was God Uh, His willpower, the options that were given to him were better because if you expose it, then you're gonna be in bondage. So this is what freedom
1: is. Mm -hmm. Stay
0: in guilt, stay in shame, try on your own. Definitely don't tell your covenant partner. Does that make does that so the options that are given to you are always in context that what is truth is actually bondage, and I'm giving freedom. I'm saying that because as we talk about this what's getting <clears throat> exposed is the indoctrination is that Paul has been a constructed father to be able to tell you that yeah. following Yahweh is going to put you in bondage because right. I'm here to give you a free gospel yeah right the reality is is Paul was the ambassador of the free gospel and you are no longer bound and if you are bound, We'll get into it when he talks about it in Galatians when he says, "Don't let anybody judge you on those new moon things." We read that automatically. Like Paul is like, "Don't you let those Jews judge you for not doing the feast. Because that would be freedom. If I don't, if I don't have to obey the feast, then I'm free. Thank the Lord for His Son,
1: because
0: now I don't have to. That's freedom. So the, the does that yeah. the, what we've constructed is. The enemy that says that following Yahweh will put you in bondage because what I'm here to do is to free you from the father, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: which right. is exactly right. what Hasatan did in the garden. Mm-hmm. I am here to tell you that your father is bad. He yeah. told you no. Yeah.
1: Right. And you don't
0: sure. like that. Oh, so let me give you freedom that's by good. showing you a yeah. lifestyle that you can eat whatever you want. Yeah, mm-hmm. right?
1: yeah. right? I
0: mean, that's the beginning of it right. all, all the way into then you have that filter. Now you're reading Paul in the exact same way and don't even know it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just
0: like she didn't know that she was listening to something outside of her father. Right, yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. so I just want to like keep saying that because I know we've talked about it a lot. Like when we talk about even marriage, that the world will even say, Once you get married, that's bondage. Yeah, I was free when I wasn't married, when in reality, I was in bondage when I wasn't free, and now I have full freedom. But it's it's backwards, so
1: (coughs) sorry.
2: So now I'm so glad we went over um, Matthew 5 and Yeshua talking about his purpose for coming. And if you remember, right, this is, and and don't forget that this whole context of what we're talking about is not just the law, because most times in the word, it's the law and the prophets are together. The dynamic is, is one dynamic, the law and the prophets. Okay. So, let's not forget that when Yeshua said, I did not come come to abolish but to fulfill the law, not just the law but the law and the prophets. Okay? So, I'm going to jump to chapter 1 verse 16. The righteousness shall the righteous shall live by faith. He says, "For I am not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who trusts." to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from trust to trust. Mm-hmm. Now listen to what he says. As it is written, remember when we were talking about that?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: When Yeshua talked about his purpose, he kept saying, for it is written.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: For it is written. For it is written. Mm-hmm. So here goes Paul saying, as it is written. As what? What, what is it? <laughs> what is he referring to? Yeah. The Torah.
0: Mm-hmm. Not.
2: So here so here you have Paul Amazing. saying you're not under the law, you're under grace. Well, if you're not under the law, then you're not under the prophets either. So why is he referring to the prophets?
1: Yeah.
2: Why is he why is he reminding us this is what the prophet said. Okay?
1: Right. Right.
2: Hmm. But the righteous shall live by faith. Right? People will even say that. No, we live by faith alone. We live by faith
1: alone.
2: (laughs) Right. We're righteous through faith, through grace, right? Mm -hmm. The righteous shall live by faith, right? It's all this Christianese Mm -hmm. stuff.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Right? No, Paul said the righteous shall live by faith. No, what Paul said was when he said that he was he was quoting the prophet Habakkuk or however you say that. Habakkuk (laughs) or whatever. What's the right way to say it? Habakkuk. Do you know, Eric? I've always called it Habakkuk.
1: <laughs> what? <I'll, laughs> I'm just going to go with Hab- write Habakkuk. It. Okay, you
0: say write it. Yeah.
2: Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 says, But the righteous shall live by faith. Here you have a prophet
0: mm-hmm.
2: talking about this dynamic of righteousness and living by faith, right? Not just... Because you have faith, because you have some moral belief, you're righteous. That's not what it says.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The righteous, which means you're deemed a certain way because you live a certain way. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You're righteous because you live by faith. Okay. What that entails is a, a way of being and doing. And what Paul is saying is that it is written and he's reaffirming the prophets. So he reaffirms the law. He reaffirms that he's walking in alignment with the Great Commission, the fullness of the Great Commission. He reaffirms the prophets. right? And this is all, the reason why I bring this up is because we could have just jumped right into Romans 7 and the laws at war. But if we're intimately engaged, then these are like little little precepts that you can actually construct and see Paul for who he really was. Yeah. Paul was somebody that affirmed the law and the prophets.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So if anybody virtually uses Paul to serve the general consensus of Christianity that you're no longer connected or attached to the Father's instructions, right? add that to the fact that if we're not connected to the law, that we don't have a mechanism of restoration into the Father's house. Right? you can see how all these things start coming together and somebody's weak belief Some not, not a conviction, some weak belief that nope, we're not under the law because they've heard it 500 times mm-hmm. is not going to stand a chance mm-hmm. right, and what I care more about is that we understand it for our own sake,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but it's going to come up and we should be a witness we should attest to these things Right, so we need to understand right amen being righteous and living by faith means that there's an objective truth that governs your actions. That objective truth is the Torah. Psalm 119, 142 says that the Torah is the truth. The truth is the Torah. What was that? 119.
1: 142.
0: Those are part of the scriptures that we had listed out where in the, in the covenant where it talks about the truth for the way and the life mm-hmm. is all Torah, but the word became flesh. That's why he's able to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's, there's references to that. He wasn't, it wasn't just a, this would be a good poem. Mm, right.
1: I'm the way, I'm the
0: truth, I'm the life. Like he's just telling his disciples, like this, you know, this is a cute idea. They knew what the way haderic, they knew what that meant. So when he said, I am haderic, they knew what they had been following was the way. And they were basically seeing it made flesh before their eyes. So it was, it was, and and that's what's so powerful about being able to read the renewed covenant with all of that because then you understand what it is that he was saying when he said things like, I am the life and the truth and the way because they knew, they knew those things.
2: To just hit righteousness again, if you go to chapter two, verse 12 and 13, it says, for all who have sinned outside of Torah will also perish outside of Torah. And all who have sinned according to Torah will be judged by Torah. So there's a dynamic of there's people that have never been exposed mm-hmm. to the Father's instructions. Right? They're sinning. The difference is is they're still going to have consequences for their sin. They're just not aware that they're sinning because they've never been exposed to the Torah. But nonetheless, Paul says, if you've sinned outside of exposure to the Torah, you will still perish. And all who have sinned according to the Torah will be judged by Torah. Right? So those who have been exposed to the truth, right, mm-hmm. and you still sin, which means you you violate the law, you'll be judged by the Torah. Condemnation. Right? Mm-hmm. The Torah itself is not condemnation. condemnation. The, the Torah exposes sin in you and the fact that you're, Subject to the law of sin and death. That's your state. You don't know that unless you've engaged with the Torah. Yeah. The Torah is not condemnation, but it's the vehicle by which you will be condemned or be aware of your condemnation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Verse 13, For it is not the hearers of Torah who are righteous before God. So this, you can just see how with yahweh putting us on a path of destiny to be to understand who we truly are we have to understand the standards and the level of accountability that he's holding us to Mm -hmm. he's not just saying here's my instructions you found it (laughs) right you heard me if i give an instruction in my kid i say did you hear what i said and they say yeah great did they do what i said (laughs) yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I heard you. They could say, Yeah, I heard you, whatever. Okay. Right? Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah.
2: Verse thirteen, for it is not the hearers of Torah who are righteous before God, rather, it is the doers of Torah who will be justified. Ooh. I mean this Paul just <laughs> says it. <Almost laughs> He's not even saying you're not under the law. He's saying those that have never even been exposed, right, have no, uh, no. You would say, well, what? A, come on, we got to go easier on those people. They've never <laughs> even been exposed to the Torah, yeah. right? And he's saying they will still perish in their sin. They just are not aware that their sin is sin because there's no standard, there's no law to show them, no, what you're doing is sin, right? But that's still, they're still under the law of sin and death right but he's he's raising he's he's showing us the standard that it's not enough to not just understand that you're uh, it's not enough to come out of a, a false understanding that's not enough because you need the true understanding which is that my instructions are still valid Yeshua affirmed it Apostle Paul affirmed it right the Great Commission affirms it Right? it's not an it's not enough to just come out of a false teaching or a false understanding you have to be hungry for what the Torah is and it's not enough just to know what it is or hear what it is but you have to do what it is in order to be declared
0: righteous
1: yeah. okay I think yeah can you explain again
0: what the law
1: of sin is
2: so when you This whole thing, right, law, grace, in order to understand this whole, these these false options, we have to understand what sin is. The Bible defines sin as lawlessness. So basically transgression against the Father's instructions. So you transgress, you violate, you neglect, you rebel against the Father's instructions. That's lawlessness, right? His instructions are the law you violate it you're in a state of lawlessness which means you're in a state of sin so the wages of sin are death and there's there's a there's an authority that governs you when you step out of the covering of the father you're now you've now subjected your life or your life is subjected to the law of sin and death meaning that you're operating out of your flesh You're not living in the spirit. You haven't been transformed by the spirit of adoption because you're allowing your flesh to dictate what you do, the actions you take, the decisions you make. You're basically operating in your flesh against the Father, hostile towards God. So when you're in that state, one of the laws that Apostle Paul talks about is actually the law of sin and death, right? When Apostle Paul talks about dying to your flesh, dying with Christ and being resurrected with him, you're no longer subject to the law of sin and death anymore because that died with Christ. Does that make sense? And essentially the
0: punishment of death. Right,
2: and the condemnation that that you will suffer. Now what's interesting is... uh, Let me read a verse here that will further clarify that. Just give me a minute. I lost my place here. Okay, so let's just go to, we'll get to chapter 7, right? What I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, chapter (laughs) 7. And this, I think this will help clarify, Regina. In chapter 7, what's interesting is I I use Blue Letter Bible a lot, and I'll look at different translations and just see how they say different things. Um, When I looked at the English Standard Version, the heading of the chapter was um, dead to the law. Hmm. Which, if you're just like a, uh, you know, oh yeah, we're dead to the law, right? Mm-hmm. Just lines up with everything else,
1: yeah. right?
2: Our the, the Tree of Light version says two laws at war. That's accurate.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. right? Very oh, different. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. I don't know how
2: they how the uh, translators got that,
1: but it's oh. to fit the theology. <laughs> oh, okay. was-
2: so, chapter seven, verse one says or do you not know brothers and sisters for i speak to those who know law
1: Okay
0: wait I'm like shocked you're getting into Romans 7
1: Okay
0: So as <laughs> as we read this this is going to point you into the purpose of why he came and died Mhm <laughs> Is this is the purpose not to say he did it all and free you from any of the instructions because if you don't understand the instructions you won't understand why he came and you won't understand why he had to die based on this law right now that he's about to preach and it is black and white that he decides two laws are at war and he decides to talk about a woman and what happens to her when she's an adulteress and she's married? We have to understand why Paul decides to bring out, out of all 613 laws, he decides to say that there's two laws at war, and he brings about this law. So when you read this, don't say, oh, that woman over there.
1: Yeah. Because it's good. you,
0: woman, right here. That's
1: good. Yeah. <laughs> okay?
0: A lot of times we read this and we'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to speak to those who know the law oh, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not an adulteress and my husband didn't die. And so we just skip over it. <clears throat> There's a reason why Paul picks this law and we have no idea why he came and what you were truly freed from. Okay, go on. Is that a
1: with this. I'm like, what doing? We're jumping into the next
0: night season. Mm-hmm.
1: Welcome. Welcome.
2: This is the preview
1: to the next night season.
2: He says, Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I speak to those who know law? Pause.
0: L- if you don't, mm-hmm. we should probably figure it out, or else we're not going to understand the rest of the scripture. Okay, go on.
2: The law is master over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law concerning her husband. What Paul is talking about is the same thing he's been talking about. He's basically saying, as long as you're a bride to in covenant with the law of sin and death, it will be master over you as long as he lives. The law of sin and death is the he. You are the bride. As long as you are in covenant with, engaged to, the master of the law of sin and death, it will master over you as long as he is alive. Okay? Verse 2. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. So when you talk about the law of sin and death, if, you're, if that is the master over you, right? There's no false option, bondage, freedom. You're, you're under bondage to something. If the thing you're under bondage to is the law of sin and death, that will have mastery over you as long as that husband lives. Okay? For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if the husband dies she is released from the law concerning her husband. So then if she is joined to another man, another law, a law filled with life, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So then if she is joined to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. So she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So, what is it saying? You cannot be under the influence or be engaged with the law of sin and death and the spirit of life at the same time because you're an adulteress either way. You're still violating the law either way. You can't do it. Right? What Apostle Paul is saying is that the law of sin and death has to die with Yeshua. Right? That husband has to die so that you can be released and not be an adulteress when you get engaged in covenant with the law of the spirit of life
1: wow Dang. Wow!
2: you guys need to circle this
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
2: highlight this circle this because this is so a, a very small picture from Apostle Paul of the the greater picture of the biggest lie that, we, that we're going to be talking about next night season
1: so when the word says I died with Christ, doesn't say that mm-hmm. I died, like I died. With
2: Christ. Your flesh and
0: died with mm-hmm. Christ. So I'm confused how the how the husband of sin and death dies because you're saying you have to die with Yeshua but the word says I die with Yeshua
2: (laughs) so think of two not two laws at war two husbands at war what are you
1: planning (laughs) <laughs> think of
2: two, two husbands at work you're the bride you're not the he the he is the two husbands there's Yahweh there's Yeshua the spirit of life or there's the enemy in the, the law of sin and death And the spirit of bondage, right? What, without even ever knowing the law, just all of our initial state was that we were engaged in covenant with the law of sin and death. That was our husband, right? We have to, we can't just divorce, we can't just divorce that because we're going to be, it says we're going to be in bondage to it for our entire life. The only way to get free from that is if that law dies, so that we're free to then engage with this, with Yeshua in the Spirit of Life.
1: So, how does that law die? Yeah, yeah. How does that law die? <laughs> okay. So,
2: okay. Let, me keep, so let me keep. Let me keep reading. Let me keep reading. I got you, girl. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. So she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were made dead to the Torah through the body of Messiah. So that you might be joined to one another. The one who raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh. Now, this is the dynamic of how that happens. For when we were in the flesh, basically slave to the law of sin and death, the sinful passions that came through the Torah, okay, did it? Did the Torah cause you to sin? No.
1: no, no. no.
2: Came through the Torah, meaning the Torah made yeah. you aware of yeah. your yeah. sin.
1: Yeah. It was right. the ruler yeah.
0: that you measure yourself up against.
2: So the sinful passions that came through the Torah were working in our body parts to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to what can find us, so that we serve in the new way of the Ruach and not in the old way of the letter. Mm -hmm. So, your flesh, you have to die to your flesh. You have to die with Christ and be raised up with Him, which gives you access to the Holy Spirit, which bears fruit. Does that make sense? It's just that it's, huh? So, I die? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Your flesh dies. Your flesh is the wife of the husband of the law of sin and death. When your flesh dies, that husband dies. You die, the covenant dies. That husband Mm -hmm. dies because it has nothing to be master over. You die with Yeshua, you're raised with Him, you're given the Holy Spirit, which bears a different kind of fruit. Right? I don't wanna make it like I don't I don't it's not a
1: mm-hmm.
2: I don't think it's a lofty thing. It's just like mm-hmm. you're right, when you were born again, you died to your flesh.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The only thing that husband had master over that could operate through was your flesh. To produce sinful passion and all that crazy stuff. Okay.
0: Why is it called husband?
2: Well I think what's interesting is that Apostle Paul is cool. using that analogy and he's he's pulling from the actual law itself, using an actual law from the Torah that
0: So husband is referred to law or law
2: He's making that analogy in this case.
0: Okay.
2: That he's calling
0: it's what we're in covenant with. Yes. So it's like that added like you didn't just like engage with it, you were like married to it. So another way to read this is to recognize pre Yeshua, his people were considered by law in adultery for operating in paganism. So sin law of sin and death, for forget the laws. His people divorced Yahweh and married into paganism without a death of the original husband, they would be, we would still be considered an adulteress. So the purpose of Yeshua is that the original covenant freed us from our sin because he had to die. So we would not be an adulteress any longer. Because what's coming is a marriage supper. So there's kind of two angles to look at this, or I shouldn't say two angles, uh, two depths of this. Because the law of sin and death is anything outside of our covenant with Yahweh. So what Yahweh was doing was let me give my wife that left me, A certificate of divorce to free her because the only way she could be freed and be remarried because of what's coming is to have a death. So you can, so you were once divorced. Yes, you were not born into Yeshua. Okay, so you were born a divorcee. The only way you could be free of truly being divorced is to have the death. So that you could remarry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a good. Because he became sex
0: And I. I mean that that's one depth of it of what he's talking about. But yes, he became the ruler, the the ruler that you're that you're the measuring stick that you're measuring yourself up to. He decided to become that certificate so that you would not have the title adulteress because you did choose Mm -hmm. divorce you you we we divorced him and so therefore if you want to remarry you you couldn't or you'd be an adulteress unless the original died yeah so he died to give you a certificate yeah. so you could be free and not have the shame of the scarlet letter or an adulteress over your life yeah. and you are now free to be remarried yeah in him to him
2: See, Yah- Yahweh gives his instructions. He gives us the law, one of the laws of which is what we're talking about. Yahweh cannot violate
1: right. his own law. Right.
0: right. That's why he, yeah. So in yeah. order
2: to yeah. safeguard his bride to have the ability to fulfill her destiny and renew her covenant, her husband had to die.
0: And now we know why it's called the renewed covenant, right. not a new one. Right. Because it's like, well, who cares about the death? I'm free. But then it ultimately allowed us to be married to whatever. Again, here we are repeating history.
2: So Yeshua suffered the condemnation of our violation.
1: Right.
2: He took on the condemnation of our violation in his death so that our covenant could be renewed.
0: Yeah. Is it kind of like when, like, he died to give me the certificate to choose him again? Like, in that sense? Is that what you're saying? Like, so that I can choose to be in covenant with him again? Like, he gave me the certificate of divorce so that therefore I could choose
1: to be in covenant?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is, that,
0: is that. I mean, I
2: think that's a. Yeah. <laughs> So Dad, I have a, I think, I just, just currently, you know, just like, okay, so if we're supposed to die, then how is that the first husband Like, and I, I was just reading at the end of chapter seven, and it says, you know, I find that
0: the principle that evil is present in me, the one, and I'm the one who wants to do good, for I delight in the Torah of God with respect to my inner man, but I see a different law, which is the law of
2: sin and death and my body parts. So, I was just, I mean,
0: battling against the law of my mind and bringing me to bondage under the law of sin, which is in my body parts. Do you get it? (coughs) Which is why
2: he was so miserable. So is that then, that the husband, the first husband, the law of sin and death, is that when our flesh dies because we die with Christ, because we die with Yeshua, then that's our first husband because it's bound up in our flesh. Does that make sense? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so yep. I, my plan was to be able to read through the entirety of uh, Chapter 7, but I'll just, I'll leave that to you guys. Um And it, it's interesting when you read it how Paul affirms over and over again the validity of the Torah and of the prophets. And in no way, shape, or form does he disavow the law or does he say that it's no longer valid. And you can see it all over the book of Romans um, and in several other places. And like, like I had said multiple times before there there is when you talk about apostle paul you could there are people that have studied apostle paul for their entire life um and here we are diving into apostle paul for like three weeks for a couple hours on a friday Make everybody a uh, pauline scholar and, right like that's not the goal. The goal is to right. engage with him intimately where we can, when we can, to be able to understand who he was not according to his own words, who he was according to his own words, and provide a solid enough context that anytime you would be presented with Paul's words in your own time of study or by way of somebody else who's confronting your belief or your conviction, that you have enough intimate knowledge of Paul to know that when something's not right right yeah. I know my wife intimately enough that if somebody yeah. else told me hey your wife told me to tell you this I would yeah. know if, it, if she actually said that or not yeah and
1: yeah. I would
2: know yeah. what she meant by that
1: yeah and
2: what she didn't mean by it
1: mm-hmm. right yeah
2: it's like when uh in the movies when like alien takes over somebody's body or something and like they go try to act like that yeah. person and people are like you ne- what are you doing you never act this way you don't say stuff like that you know that's what I feel like uh Paul's been hijacked for way too long <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so
2: yeah I just I want to encourage you guys you know, Matthew 5, we need to be, we need to know those scriptures, 17 through 20. The, the, um, you know, Yeshua, what he came for, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, we need to know those things. Acts 15, we need to be familiar with exactly what was Paul arguing, what was the argument concerning, what was the, uh, final verdict that they decided to, to send out to all the believers and the followers. Um, you know, and then Apostle Paul, because, like I said, he's that he's that figure in Christian history that most people will go to as the one who turned his back on his Jewish heritage, so that you know or as an as a as a result of his conviction that you no longer the law doesn't apply to you,
1: right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And my hope is, our hope is in this night season as we talk about these things that there is so much context that you you can't just, nope, you can't just tell me we're not under the law anymore. It doesn't apply.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? Because we've thought about it. We've, we think about these things. You can't even, if you're coming from that place, that means you subscribe to the fact that the law and grace are independent and opposed to each other. And that's not even true. That doesn't operate like that. Or even have for somebody even say that they have to subscribe to the fact that those things are in opposition to each other and they're not. So um just encourage you guys to keep studying these things and let the let the Holy Spirit guide you, man. Like I was turned flipping to Romans 7 and I was looking at my notes where we left off, and I was gonna jump right into what I what I said. A week ago that we were gonna jump into and that's all me deciding what I'm gonna do and the Holy Spirit was like tapping me on the shoulder like well how about you start right here okay right and pay attention to the things that jump out that now that we have eyes to see and ears to hear the things that jump out like wait a second I've never noticed that or I've never heard that I want to know what that is right
0: I have a quick question. Um, Does Paul refer to, like, Jew nor Gentile? Because at that point, the other tribes had already scattered. Like, versus him saying, like, Israel or Hebrew. like Because he does usually only talk about, like, the tribe of Judah. Does that make sense?
2: He talks about... I mean, if I'm thinking of the same thing that you're thinking of, when he talks about the tribe of Judah, he talks about, like, where he's, like, his his heritage.
0: Yeah, I guess, and maybe he's just saying Jew as an example. Like, there's not a Jew nor Gentile, like, versus saying all the tribes. So, yeah. essentially, and we'll get more into this when we get into heritage, but essentially, That's why everyone will typically say, oh, that's a Jewish thing. Right. Because the identification is the house of Judah are the ones that didn't scatter. Granted, there were half the Levites and some of Benjamin. But for the rest of the tribes that all went north, scattered, and they're still scattered in the time of Yeshua and Paul. All of what scattered, which is all of the other tribes, are Gentiles. because essentially they all went into paganism and they are Gentiles essentially because of the house of Joseph. Like we come from and we'll get into this, but we're from the house of Joseph and from the house of Joseph, that's where the Gentiles came in. So that's why it's usually formulated in that, you know, neither Jew nor Gentile because it's those that, so when we say, because we've talked about this before, like the Jews didn't break covenant. It doesn't mean that they didn't like chapter two, Jewish people fall short too. It's not like they didn't break. The The concept is is that they, they did safeguard the instructions, whereas those that scattered um, did break all of those. So, that's, so at that
1: point, they have. Like
0: yes. When Yeshua wants, they have. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The scattering happened like in Babylonian times. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. So
2: when he says neither Jew nor Gentile, he's just categorizing the entire.
1: Uh, Nation of Israel and the sure. 12 tribes in sure. the
2: two categories. He's basically
0: talking about the divorce. Okay.
2: There's a there's Judah, Benjamin, and, and Levi, Levi mm-hmm. in the southern kingdom. And culturally, it wasn't just after a certain point, because they were so united, all of those people were known Together. as Jews.
0: And all of those people were the house. It was called the house of Judah, and all the northern tribes became Ephraim. Mm-hmm. And that's why we'll talk about like you know being grafted in or the house of Ephraim or the house of Joseph, and that is essentially where the Gentiles are, the scattered nation. That's why Yeshua in his in the Gospels will say, "I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel." Right. That's what he's talking right. about. Right. He's yeah. not. He didn't come for the house of Judah.
1: <laughs> okay. Or don't to wait too for us, through. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh-huh.
0: By the spirit, just going into that whole divorce and like, well, who's divorced and who died and who's the first husband? And I don't want us to get so much into that because even saying that the first husband is just flesh, like there's something in it because when we when we receive our heritage, we'll recognize that the first husband was him, our first covenant mm-hmm. in the garden was Yahweh. So we're recognizing if we go back to our original intent at the end of the day We understand that we want to be we want to have a renewed covenant We want to be remarried and the point of all of that is that by the law We were not we are not free to have that certificate to be able to do that without that title without a death so whether we look at it as my flesh died his sin died or he literally Paul's died. talking very
2: specifically about the transition from fear and bondage to mm-hmm.
1: adoption. But
0: just know that a death had to happen and it is to fulfill a law. It wasn't just some, "Oh, I think this will work. Maybe I should send my son." It was very intentional and strategic if you want if if you will because of what's coming that a death had to happen. It's good. Just gives a little bit more purpose.
1: Yeah.
0: Than to you know it's not a superficial, but that he came to free me from hell. Yeah. But that he came to free you right now from the shame of being an adulteress
1: Mm -hmm. or
0: an adulterer because of us think about what we've been through with divestments there's always it's always a, a leave to cleave there's always a, there's always a a divesting in order to to be, to be to be to be united right it's not just for unity's sake but in the the concept of unity naturally brings on the concept of divestment or to break away and so to, to just know that that's part of who, who he is—that's part of his—that's part of his story, and there's so much purpose
1: in that. Last question. <laughs> are, the word "gentile," why are they just categorizing all the scattered
2: people as gentiles? What is that word? So, like when you talk about nations and ethnos, I don't—I don't know. It's a derivative of that. I don't know if that, like, gentile, if it's like a Greek. On all that, but basically it came from the word nations,
1: other nations,
0: right? Other nations outside of Yahweh, essentially, because when Joseph married an Egyptian, he basically then intermingled with those that were not, didn't understand that that that, ori- that original covenant. So the God of Israel wasn't their God. So essentially, Gentiles. But the concept is, is we look at Gentiles as like Christians who are not Jews. When there was Gentiles in Genesis,
1: and there had
2: been so much time between like the tribes, so like then that there wasn't any like
1: almost re- remembrance of that. Well, it. Separate
0: it'll we'll get into it when about with the kingdoms because when the split of the kingdoms happened that's kind of when like the houses were built so then you kind of just fell into the house so no longer was Gad gad mm-hmm. like it was in the wilderness because when, they, <laughs> when the tri- when the tribe separated it just kind of became one big house that became one big people group that really honestly didn't have an identity because they were all scattering into all different things. Whereas the identity did stay with the Southern tribes because they safeguarded the identity. That's why it's easy then when you're grafted in as a Gentile, meaning one new man, you're no longer scattered, you're no longer part of the Northern tribes, but you're being brought together. It's an easy thing for people to say, oh, well, you just look like the Southern tribes or however you want to say it, the house of Judah. Well, they just, they just safeguarded their identity, but it's the scattering.
1: But yes, lots of time.